Hey everybody, it's Chance. I want to tell you real quick that you're about to hear a formerly Patreon-exclusive Be Real episode. This was our recap of 1999's The Mummy from back in March. Um, we're putting them out on the main feed because we need a couple of weeks off here with some traveling and some moving and some some life stuff as we get deeper into 2021. Um, but we thought it'd be a good opportunity to throw some bonus episodes out here on the main feed. Um, what I am implicitly trying to entice you to do, and now explicitly, is to check out the Be Real Patreon if you haven't. Uh, it's patreon.com backslash be real. And for three bucks a month, you can get access to episodes just like these, single title reviews of our watch party picks, um, and then you also get our monthly streaming recommendations, which I think have been really fun and allow Noah's and my taste to become even more kind of extreme versions of itself, whether we're talking about uh, how Noah binged all of How I Met Your Mother or what new um, what new old Hong Kong movies I checked out after John Woo. So we would love your support and patronage, but for now, uh, let's fight off this mummy. You can talk about film with a philosopher's zeal or measure them all by box office appeal but for once in your life be real another month another movie watched as a group for the be real patreon so happy to be here in mid-march to talk about 1999's the mummy i'm chance I'm Noah. Just Noah. Oh, high priest Noah. Um, this was so much fun. We love yeah. our watch parties, and we love we finding good movies for our watch parties. I'm looking at you, the little things. Though it's interesting to al- analyze the data, though, because the little things drew a larger crowd than a crowd pleaser, the mummy. Right. This is more like a pod pleaser, the mummy. Yeah, we were strong but mighty this week. Yeah, absolutely. Much like Emotep himself. Um, you say strong but mighty? That's just two versions of mighty. We got to talk about 1990. Oh, I did say strong but mighty. <laughs> I meant to say small but mighty. Patreon, Patreon. Uh, let's talk about The Mummy 1999. It is a favorite of Noah Ballard's. Um, and I hadn't seen it since I was a very little child, so I was excited to rewatch Um Noah, you want to synopsize the mummy real quick? At an archaeological dig in the ancient city of Hamanaptra, an American serving in the French Foreign Legion accidentally awakens a mummy who begins to wreak havoc as he searches for the reincarnation of his long-lost love. I don't know if that's that... It's not really that right. I mean, Brandon Fraser is in the French Foreign Legion, but he doesn't... He doesn't wake up Imhotep while he's there. He goes yeah. back specifically, but then accidentally wakes up Imhotep for another reason. Yeah, that synopsis, listen, they're only one sentence, but yeah, it leaves out the part where um, he becomes a, a, like a drunken vagrant and... Uh, you he know. has his, his peachy Carnahan three years and ends up in an Egyptian prison. Exactly. Uh, and then... Much like the movie itself, this synopsis sentence also robs Rachel Weisz of any agency. Uh. Yeah, she's Evelyn Carnahan, a, a librarian and Egyptologist. Wikipedia says... Right, and arguably the protagonist of the movie. She's certainly the one who 
instigates the discovery. Yeah, I mean, the plot is basically moving forward because of things that happened to her. Many men have wasted their lives in the foolish pursuit of Harmonoptra. Most have never returned. I think you found something. Unleash the creature that we have feared for more than 3,000 years. Is the bringer of death. He will never stop. Prologue to this movie is uh, Imhotep is a, is a high priest in the city of Thebes, circa 1290 BC, falls in love with the Pharaoh's mistress. Not supposed to fall in love with the Pharaoh's mistress, because that's the Pharaoh's mistress. Um, and when the Pharaoh discovers their affair he is killed by imhotep and what's her name anxunamun anaxunamun anaxunamun despite slaying the pharaoh his, his guards really get the best of these two uh imhotep ends up mummified alive he does and not only mummified alive but he's given the home die uh, the worst of all mummy curses, uh, where, as one of the uh, watchers today pointed out, not only are you like infinitely tortured during this experience for eternity, but then if someone does have the misfortune of waking you up, you're immortal. <laughs> it's a real double-edged curse. Right. Yeah. And you're you're immortal and you have super strength and you can Invincible, yeah. conjure sandstorms. Amazing. Um, and this is, of course, also the star turn of South African-American actor <laughs> Arnold Vosloo, who plays Zimotep, the the creature. Yeah. You got to give Budera credit for getting all of his, his demonyms right. South African-American actor. Um, yeah. So Rachel Weisz and Brendan Fraser team up. They're, they're headed down back to the city of the dead. Um, and then they end up competing with another treasure hunting party, just full of American assholes, but guided by Benny Gabor, who was a fellow serviceman of Brendan Fraser and the French foreign legion and is now acting as a, as a guide to these right. just stupid square jawed yanks. So you got some, yes. you have some digging competition going on. Right. And we should note that, uh, Benny's played by uh, ethnically ambiguous actor Kevin J. O'Connor, who is, it's unclear to me. I mean, you said what on Wikipedia, it says he's Hungarian, but. Could have fooled me. It, it's, it's, it, it's unclear. He's just a sickly looking man in a fez. Right. He's someone who could appear as a supporting character in uh, Hannibal Rising, I think. Okay. Where to start with this movie? Do you want to? This movie means so much to you. You should start. I don't... Okay, I, I don't want to, like, oversell my enthusiasm for this movie. I think this movie's... Or at least going into this watch, I thought this movie was, like, pretty cool. I thought the effects held up pretty good, considering there's, like, a lot of CGI in here. It's a famously um, effect-heavy movie. 
It is. Uh, but we can talk about this too, is that I don't think the effects are like doing too much. So like the seams on it are not as visible. Um, but yeah, watching it this time, I don't know. I'm, I'm more, of course, like having seen this movie a thousand times, I get like wrapped up in the, like the narrative structure of it and like uh-huh. the real storytelling and the point of view of it. And I think of course, like it, it, it takes the most like lazy sexist kind of colonial approach to what is otherwise like kind of an interesting, complicated story of a guy chasing unrequited love and forbidden love. And maybe this is the same situation you had when you were watching the saint uh, with your sister and me <laughs> was that like, the it's very quick to to reveal itself as a a movie from the 90s that like doesn't care much for like what women have to offer a narrative or the world you know the the Rachel Vice Evie character is so similar to Elizabeth Shue in this one where it's like she's highly qualified she's super educated she's funny she's very attractive she should be like the top of whatever she's doing but then like suddenly when a guy forcibly kisses her she's willing to uproot all of her dreams and desires to like go on an adventure with him this you don't have to drag yourself down to my level this movie is much better than the saint and i think that it oh for sure i I think that i didn't mean to imply otherwise she gets to have some fun but yeah you can't get past the construction this movie also belongs in the uh the that proud Hollywood Hall of Fame of um, uh, white people on some exoticized quest where the white woman ends up like being the corporeal form of whatever like resurrected prophesized princess. (laughs) But what I also notice on this viewing too, and much like we're poking at like the Hollywood stereotypes that this movie subscribes to, it is also a movie ripe with allusions to other big Hollywood movies. Like there's so much Raiders of the Lost Ark in here. Yeah. There's like so much. What were the other references that people were making? Well, you and Nick both called out Raiders and Jason and the Argonauts, which are the same references that Steven Summers used to pitch the movie. So right on. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it definitely has those illusions too. Um, but yeah, it really has like a feel to it, though, that feels sort of timeless, but also like very of a 90s action movie kind of space. Mm-hmm. So it exists both in a period and then, I mean, this movie could come out now and I don't think it would be like laughed out of the theater or the streaming service because of its effects or anything. The Mummy itself is an example of like really early motion capture um, and they they do the classic um cg strategy of having the mummy first revealed in a dark tomb where it looks so much better down there as opposed to like the one daylight scene is not great where it like reveals itself to the guy that's it's already taken its eyes and tongue um but i think much like spielberg too summers is smart enough to know that the effect is not the reason that we're there the effect is like a means to an end and for that reason way to tell the story yeah, it's a way to tell the story and it's it's use it sparingly. Like use it when only absolutely necessary. And if yes, and if you can cover it with darkness, 
you know, I mean, it almost has the effects almost have like a Jurassic Park feel to them that there's very little sort of up front. There's a lot of like teases, like when you first have the guy with like the scarab crawling under his skin, you like yeah. know there's going to be a more intense version of that later, but it yeah. just kind of teases you with that like quick two second shot. Um you know, or the guy getting his, like, eyes and tongue sucked out. Like, people asked, well, why doesn't he just, like, suck all their fluids out, like, in one motion like he does everybody else? People. And I really... You mean you? Didn't you yeah, ask that? <laughs> no, I think it was Nick Budare that asked that. And I said I wasn't sure. But I think, narratively speaking or filmmaking-wise, the reason they don't do that is to give you just, like, a little tease of, like, what right. the effects can do and what we can still do practically because even these sets while they are sets they feel built they don't feel like justice league the snyder cut where it's like not even this throne room is like built it's like they're sitting on a green slab and like that's the chair and then you know there's there's a mix which feels i don't know it makes this movie feel more authentic it's a fair point i will say that the uh the wide shot of Cairo at the end is one of the fakest things I've ever seen, but I know what you're saying. They were, (laughs) they were in Morocco paying the piper, you know, people were getting bit by spiders and snakes. And sometimes that's what you need to make a movie from 1990. Does this movie have the history of a lot of people being bit by spiders and snakes? That's what it said. That's what Wikipedia. Well, didn't Brendan Fraser like famously like kill himself on this movie? Like he rendered his body much worse off because of these stunts in this movie and that sort of led to his reverse meteoric downfall yeah rachel vice said that the hanging scene almost killed him that he like had to be resuscitated (laughs) (laughs) which is a bummer because like that's pretty much a wide shot that could be anyone that could be anyone let Um, the stunt people do it Exactly. Just like when Benny jumps out of that window and it's clearly like a stunt guy and then like Benny rolls into the front of camera, like in front of frame. That's like, just do more of that shit. I love That's so funny. <laughs> that is. Um, I want to come back to your point though. Yeah. Every time it's kind of reminds me, it's not a good movie, but uh, that really forgotten Michael Mann movie, The Keep um, has sort of a similar conceit where like this monster is like slowly rebuilding itself. But every time you look at the monster, it's always for the purpose of asking you like, okay, like where does this fall and what it's about to become? Like what parts does it need? How strong is it? There's very Mm. little like pointless jump scary bullshit done with the mummy, which is very smart. Um, It is. And there's like a bit of body horror in there too. More than a bit, yeah kind of fun like even in the prologue when you see like Imhotep getting his like tongue cut out and like being buried with all the scarabs it's you can't help but imagine like god I I hope I don't get mummified alive with the hum die for a thousand (laughs) years and then have to write death is just the beginning with like the snarled bone at the end of my finger Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. (laughs) is that not (laughs) what you were thinking no, I mean, I th- I would happily take on the Humdai because the in- invincibility part sounds pretty cool. Right. See, everywhere I go, like public restrooms, hotel rooms, like whatever, <laughs> I just like scratch death is just the beginning into wherever I can find a, a subtle place to do it. Another compliment I want to give to like the mummy story in general, you already brought up, I don't know if we're getting this reference from the same place, but Arnold Vosley, who plays Imhotep, has said in interviews 
that he would only do this character if it was played straight, like a Romeo and Juliet story. Like, this is the most meaningful, melodramatic thing in the world to this priest. And I think that even though this movie is very goofy occasionally, like arguably a goofier version of Raiders of the Lost Ark, that when the mummy itself is treated with, I think, a really stark reverence. Um, there's like, there's the mummy, like, takes no, like, joy, plays no games, nothing like that. Um, and I think that's he doesn't really... Eat, he doesn't sleep, he doesn't stop. I think that's really important for, like, getting people to take this movie like a little bit seriously is that the the mummy is shown its respect damn it right but unlike the mummy 2017 it doesn't take itself like too seriously no and it doesn't it can be campy like it has its campy moments but for the most part yeah like it is a good story it almost reminded me of like it's sort of doing what the raiders of the lost ark thing does for like a movie like scream Mm -hmm. where it's like here's a well-worn genre thing that we're not quite lampooning but we're like playing with the tropes of which i think is pretty clever about it especially in that sort of self-referential late 90s milieu um but yeah there's i i get what you're saying that it's yeah yeah, playing with the tropes and but skating toward the same destination. Um, exactly, and I think that that's fun in some ways. We, I feel like if we are going to have a point of disagreement here, it might. I think the thing that keeps me just a little colder on this movie than you and Nick Buder is Brendan Fraser. Like, I don't think he's bad. I shouldn't say Brendan Fraser. I think it's the Rick O'Connell part. I don't think that he's bad. His physical performance is really impressive. Him like throwing He almost that- died for this. And you're <laughs> are you not entertained? Death Him- is not just the beginning when it comes to an acting career. Death is the end. Him throwing that chair like wheeling over itself across the room uh, to knock over Benny is so funny. And he like he's a big dude, Brendan Fraser. He is a big dude um, and only getting bigger. Okay. But truth. And I think he's up to it. Um, It's fun to see him run around. I just don't really know. I don't think the movie comes up with a lot of good Rick O'Connell moments, if that makes sense. Like, I don't think he gets a lot of um, charming secondary and tertiary ways to just like show that he is the proverbial Indiana Jones, Han Solo rogue character. So like when the movie kind of resets and they're back in Cairo and he's like, listen, lady, you keep saying we, I'm not going to go back. It's like, and you're like, yeah, okay, this is a fine Harrison Ford impression. But like what this, this character is only saying this stuff because of the archetype that it is. Um, I, I don't think it gives him that much to do uh, to create the character. I would agree with you in so much as I think Rachel Vice just kind of blows him off the screen. And I don't oh, yeah. think because she's so much better than him, even with such a flimsy sexist part at her disposal, it it almost like robs them of true chemistry. Like this movie really wants them to like get together. And that's almost like not the most compelling dynamic. Yeah. Ultimately, like it's sort of, you know, working class versus sort of elite snob, I think is the more interesting conflict that they get into. But of course the movie dismisses that like for, this puppy love thing that then I think 
not to spoil my eventual review of The Mummy 2, Curse of the Scorpion King, but I think that's what's like not as compelling about that one is the central relationship where like Brendan Fraser and Rachel Weisz like can't keep each other's tongues out of the other's mouth. And it's like their weird sexual dynamic is so forced and off-putting. Um, I don't know yeah. anything about this. Oh my God. Just watch the first 10 minutes of the mummy is- to the Scorpion King. Wait, is it Scorpion King or mummy returns? I thought mummy returns was this. Oh, sorry. One. Scorpion King's the one with the rock. Well, they both have the rock. They both have the rock. Um, hold on, hold on, hold on. You know, you're sure. right. It is the Mummy Returns. Okay, and they're married. But the but they both do have the character of the Scorpion King. Okay, that's that's fair. Um, yeah, I mean the thing that their their thing is supposed is even older in terms of Hollywood history. I mean it's Bogey and Hepburn. Um, when they're bantering, it's like you're only bantering because of the stock characters you are nothing else right. um but like i i i i think the performance from brendan fraser is 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 not bad him screaming back in the mummy's face is the evolution of the indiana jones thing being more self-aware it's like i'm i'm not gonna try to look tough at all i'm gonna like play into how ridiculous this is and that's a nice that's a nice moment right yeah going for the the laugh instead of the just moment of machismo uh, right, is right. definitely an arc for this archetype um that being said it's a shamelessly colonialist and sexist movie the camels they rented are saved and treated better than all of the egyptian folks that were hired to dig and like had their faces burned off with acid. Like it just stands. And just at the end when it's like teeing up the epic shots where it's like Rick, Evelyn, Jonathan. And it's like, Oh yeah. these are the white people surveying everything that's happened. And every person of color has died or left the frame. Um, ugh, not a great feeling. Um, right. But to be clear though, the filmmakers did not actually pour acid onto the Egyptian, <laughs> extras in this was i what did you feel i was implying that steven summers had done this by his own hand it it did seem like you were kind of conflating the special effects rendered in this film with actual misdeeds done to the production here no 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 extras were harmed in the making of the mummy so far as i know only Um, on screen just spiritually right i you know what i really love i and had completely forgotten about is that Benny is such a piece of shit that he willingly becomes a servant of the mummy. I have to say that that I was so taken aback by like, wow, this guy will really, this guy will really work for anyone if it will save his skin. And there's the great scene of him, you know, the mummy's cornering him in the tomb and he's holding up all the different religious pendants, hoping it'll work. And uh, the Judaism, the star of David, yeah, the star of David, the mummy goes, ah, this the language of the of the Jewish slaves. He's from Pharaoh times. His yeah, he is not he may be awakened, but he's not woke. He's still his politics are, are two thousand years old. Did you read that there was a version, an earlier script of this movie that was about like Imhotep assimilating to three thousand years later culture and it's sort of like a jungle to jungle with the exactly. mummy? Yeah. Would you watch that? I would love to see Imhotep like 
working for like a 90s corporate toy company or something and like coming up with the the thing that has them go to the black during the Christmas season or something because of his ancient Egyptian whatever. And Wayne Knight is like, hey, man, you can't talk about Jewish people that way. Right. And he's like, you people are slaves. And it's like a really funny joke because it's his politics are 5000 years out of date. Mm hmm. Coming next I, I don't know about a man out of uh, a mummy out of water movie if that would be how is I, I, how is Arnold Vosluet talking we don't know yeah we, uh, it's it's unclear I mean he's good at speaking these like ancient Egyptian sort Commands. of words but I got to say though even the subtitles kind of carry his performance because if you noticed I would say in about half of them there's like an italicized word where it's like I will resurrect you yeah and it's like did why did we why did we need to italicize will <laughs> like did you not feel like he meant that like with what he said oh cheers to Tim by the way for pointing out that this movie's shameless use of the papyrus font uh, <laughs> including in the subtitles yeah, I believe e- even the subtitles are in papyrus <laughs> Um, that's funny. I think my favorite supporting character, uh, is the Egyptologist, uh, played by the fabulous Jonathan Hyde, who is also J. Bruce Ismay in James Cameron's Titanic, parenthetically 1997. Mm-hmm. Um, he plays a similar role, uh, sexist guy looking to make a quick buck. Uh, and this one though, he kind of like knows the rules of the game a little bit. And on the narrative level, he's there to sort of solidify and authenticate this curse. And of course he has the most excellent line of, no, you must not read from the book, which is, that's an all timer right there. In terms of classic action movie filmmaking, if you're going to make a movie about, you know, the mummy, being awakened like make sure the moment it awakens is cool as hell and this movie does a great job of selling that no you must not read from the book which and also i think that that moment is especially important something that's always kind of bugged me about this movie and listen steven summers is not steven spielberg i i get it um but act two of this movie is a lot of like going from like camp to camp and back into the dig and back to camp and it's always night and they're just kind of you're like where are they and how long has it been and like isn't there anywhere else they can go that's distinguishable from the last place they were um and that's always irked me a little so the moment where it's like oh shit you must not read from the book is very important for launching the movie forward yes and then i think the the second act does make a lot more visual sense in terms of geography yeah. You know, they return to Cairo. Then there's like a couple nice set pieces in the hotel that they're staying. Uh, and then we're we're back uh, with that pretty good. You got to give it up to the uh, the colonel, the captain, Winston. Uh, Do Bernard I have Fox. to give it up to him? You don't. I mean, he's a relic <laughs> from 
you know this the... guy's stumbling through fountains it's so funny how um respectful they are of his death though the movie like slows down and goldsmith is like i've composed winston's theme and i'm like i don't even know <laughs> i don't even know this fucking guy this like drunk guy who there is be- like a winston's theme it's pretty good and they all kind of salute at the plane being sucked down by the the coincidental uh quicksand yeah. This guy is like, oh, I wish I died in World War One. I. I my bloodstream is ninety percent gin, and the movie's Dying like, dying of boredom and booze. <laughs> the movie's like, Winston, we honor you, sir. Yeah, you gave the final sacrifice, uh, getting us fifty miles back towards this city that we easily could have rode a camel to, as referenced by the beginning of this movie. Great. Yeah, it's just this movie has plays a little bit too much ping pong for my liking. It's like, oh, back to the but city for the third scene, time. But that's a great scene, though. When they're in the plane and the guys are strapped to the wings. Yes, I would Because agree. I think that does give, again, a really nice balanced visual storytelling there where there's like the guys in the plane. Then there's the, of course, the effect of like the face coming out of the sandstorm swallowing the plane. And then we cut to, you know... Uh, Arnold Vosloo as Imhotep just like he really does this wonderful like you know it's like his mouth <laughs> is open but he's like back, he's got like his a cat he, oh, yeah. stretching oh. He, oh it's such a good you know and then Rachel Weiss of course like in typical like 1940s action movie fashion just like makes out with him to distract him and right yeah but no I think that's a really compelling scene visually it uh, is cool you know because everyone's buying in in some way even the the Magi guy like he's having a great time on that wing <laughs> yeah I, the, those effects work really well and like you said I don't think they would look that much different today because they're like so painterly right when something so blatantly unreal is kind of taking over the screen to be more more of an image than a movement um the ILM work of 1999 works great for that. It's just like the bug swarms where you're like, this, these bugs would move a lot better today, I think. But that's yeah. fine. I was just, there's so many effects in this movie. I, we were often figuring out which ones worked for us and which ones didn't. I think a, a big narrative hole in this movie, though, and I said this in the chat, is that it talks about Imhotep bringing back like the 10 plagues of Egypt. Happy Passover, oh, yeah. everyone. Uh-huh. But it 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 only does the nine. Like no firstborns die in this movie. Oh yeah, PG thirteen. It only does like the flashy ones. It doesn't have Yule Brenner like holding his bald I, son. Don't you think firstborns kind of is maybe the flashiest one? Maybe that is the flashiest one, but it'd definitely be the biggest downer if like sure. yeah, a third the of the cast was like, "Oh, we're not in this movie anymore because we were firstborn." <laughs> Yeah, that's some Or maybe kill some off bitch. Jonathan that way. That could have been a a wink. I Am I a bloodthirsty bastard for kind of wishing that somebody a little more important than Winston had had gotten killed off? I feel like this movie is like constructed to give you like a lot a lot of nonsense characters not to care about. So it's just like we'll just kill everyone else except for jonathan and the lead magi right yeah the amount of people that we like really care about who don't die compared to the amount of people who do die that we only know tangentially is is like (laughs) a polar opposite like anyone you're introduced to who isn't an important character will be dead by the end but everyone else will be very much alive and if anything thriving 
that could have been a nice way to actually render a little more importance, as you said at the beginning, to Imhotep and his like pain. Is like if one of these characters that we cared about a little bit, but was still a greedy Western interloper, you know, died at his hands, you would have to be like tip of the hat, mummy. Like you are, you do have some real stake in this story. Yeah, it is. I I think a better movie has Jonathan getting a comeuppance. But again, like this movie, I think is so open with those central characters because it has like franchise in its mind. Oh yeah. You know, it's like, let's keep as many people alive so we can spin this thing off forever and ever. And then when you think it's dead, we'll make one set in Asia. Right. (laughs) With Jet Li. With Jet Li. Who Noah thought was dead the other day for sure. R.I.P. Jet Li. <laughs> no, he is alive. Um, okay. Chance, how would you rate The Mummy? I think I watched the exact same movie that you and Nick did, but I fall a little bit closer uh, to my buddy Tim, which is I'm just a, a little more lukewarm. I'm more comfortable in the bad good space. Tim was like, I can't in good faith call it anything else but bad good. And I totally agree. I would rather I would rather give it its <laughs> first demerit for being like pretty xenophobic and making all of the Egyptian characters like pretty gross. Um and uh, and then just, yeah, admit that it is very watchable and very fun and that it does have little moments that keep you invested and being like, oh, yeah, Stephen Summers is pretty much at the top of his game here. I love the two that Nick shouted out of um, the uh, water to blood plague. You realize the bar has watered down their liquor because people's drinks turn red. Um, right. And then uh, Imhotep chewing that scarab when his face is almost like reformed is just a great moment. Um uh, a bad good with with gusto. I think I'm gonna go out on a limb for this movie and give it a good good. I knew you would. I think we, despite its bad '90s politics, it's the kind of movie that is an example of using cutting edge special effects, but like in service of story, like not the other way around. Uh, the story may be a little tired now, but at the time, I think it was a real refresh of the Indiana Joneses of 20 years earlier. So I think that this movie has a place in that big Hollywood studio canon of being influential and opening a lot of doors for some of these like huge battle and you know historical epic things that would come later. You don't have Exodus gods and kings without the mummy. Yeah, in the late 90s, man, it was avant-garde to make a story about a guy getting people's organs one by one cuz he didn't have them. That was that was what we were doing. There is some debate about whether though he was getting his own organs or he was getting his girlfriend's organs. I that is good Really solid story structure, though. I mean, like, yes, this movie has some stupid MacGuffins with, like, the two books and the two keys. It's like, if the one book woke him up, surely the other one will make him go back to sleep. But that general structure of, like, he's gonna go around putting his body back together is a pretty clever way to keep me watching this beast, this creature. (laughs) Yes. You know, though I, I said at the top, I think they're pretty quick to call him the creature, considering that like when they buried him he was a guy (laughs) you guys are part of the secret society in this lineage of protectors like why are you calling him a creature you know who it is it's a (laughs) motel he's been home died 
Well, always great to watch a movie with you, Chance, with our pals. Let's keep doing it. Let's keep picking weird ones, the fun things to talk about. Uh, this has been great. What a fun little Sunday. Here, here. I'll see you all in April. <laughs> <laughs>